Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil. I'm also joined, as always, by Terry, who's also in Minnesota with me, and Bob, who's in Virginia. We are three distinct voices, bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into this conversation. We want you to join in the conversation as well. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leave a message there. We also have a link in the description. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house here in Minnesota and in the Midwest. Now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations continue to be a light not only for us, but for you as well. Now let us welcome Terry and Bob into the conversation. Hello, podcast listener. I'd like to preface this episode that there's a bit of some audio problems that we encountered. We tried to resolve them as best we could, but you'll hear a bit of echo, and there might even be some breaking up during some of the audio. We try to summarize as best we can, but we do apologize for this. Our prayer is that this will not occur again, but we do thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy the episode. Take it away, Terry and Bob. Well, good Good day to one and all in podcast land. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of Strange Catholics. Brothers, it is good to come together and uh, share a microphone with you once again. Good to talk to you guys, too. Likewise, Terry and Bob. Thanks for including me. <laughs> our, our podcast would not be complete without your wisdom and knowledge, Bob. And I say <laughs> yeah, that with and, the greatest amount of sincerity. And not without the audio problems. So just so the our <laughs> podcast fans out there understand, we've been beating our heads against the wall trying to get the audio uh, together. So we're maybe a year from now, when we become really big podcast stars, we'll be able to get much better technology and we won't have this issue. <laughs> Amen, Bob. Amen. <laughs> All right. So our topics. All right, Phil. Our topic. Yeah, go ahead, and kick it off. Our topics today will be our our reflections, our reactions, our response to mass resuming in most places around the country, and what our experience was like. And then we're also going to have another segment talking about the feast, the solemnity, sorry, of Corpus Christi, the importance of it, why, and just give some of our own reflections on. The Feast of Corpus Christi. Well, now that we kick it off, I, I, you know, I go to a different diocese than you guys. So I'd like to know from uh, Terry, Phil, you know, how are, how's the return to mass in, in the Minnesota area, in the diocese you guys are in? And, and uh, what are your, you know, restrictions and and so on. And how is it going as far as attendance and all that other stuff? So from my perspective, the very first public mass that we had uh, would have been the anticipatory mass, the 5 p.m. mass on Saturday uh, for the solemnity of the Most Holy Trin Trinity last weekend. And this that mass was uh, pretty low in attendance Uh the Sunday morning mass at 9.30 was significantly greater in number of people coming together to uh, reverence and worship. And so that one was much better attended, but it also helped some of the practices we put in place to kind of do almost in essence a dry run through all the procedures that were, you know, planned and prepped and walked through. When you see it happen in the mass, it's different than any other kind of practice you can possibly do um, just because you see people's natural reactions and how something flows maybe different than what you thought it might. So having a lower number at that first mass helped us kind of see how things worked and then made some tweaks for Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday morning was um, probably about... Mm, so we probably had 
well, we didn't have a lot of people at Saturday. There were quite a few more at the Sunday, um, not a full sanctuary or even full to the percentage that the governor was allowing up to that point. Uh, but now we can go up to 50% of the sanctuary can now be filled 50% or 225, whichever is lower uh, as of just a few days ago. So we'll see if that, if more people attend, um, I, th I think people are still remaining cautious, uh, but you can still see uh, the hunger in people to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. There was a palpable hunger. Um, and even if people didn't have kind of an aha moment, you know, or an emotional moment after reception of our Lord in the Eucharist, um, there were definitely some people that did. So you, you, could, you could see and feel the hunger of the people being able to come together to do a thing that you can't do virtually um, doing that in person. Um, we just had a single canter. Um, so people distributing communion uh, were, ma were wearing masks. Um, other people were probably closer to 10 feet apart with the way the pews are separated. Um, and, and, you know, I think things flowed pretty well. You know, for everything you try and plan, it's always hard to see if things will work the way you think they will work. Um, I think it went pretty well. Less people than I think I would have thought, but it's still good to have even just one, you know. So just thankful that some people came. You could really see and feel, you know, the longing and the hunger that people had. Terry, you have a much larger parish. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. So, so it was my understanding um, that, so let me back up. So I was unaware that our parish had opened its doors yet. So I made preparations to uh, once again, watch the live stream of the mass, not way to stay connected. Yes. So I'm still staying connected. We still did worship. Um, but the reports that I did get from, uh, my friends that were there, uh, was that Saturday night mass, uh, was, did you, did you hear all that, that Terry just it, gave you? It was a little broken up, but I can, I can summarize yeah, it. it was that, a you little... know, they were less than 50%. I'm assuming that's 50% of yeah. the total people, 225 <laughs> or, uh, so 10% of their, or. Yeah, ten percent of their, sorry, twenty five percent of their would be two hundred and fifty, which would be at or over, you know, whatever the governor limited, and so they weren't even close to that. It sounds like, and then Sunday was much more well attended, but he could feel people's enthusiasm in the prayers, uh, even though he attended virtually. Did I summarize that pretty well, Terry? Yeah, that that's summing it up pretty well. Perfect. So, yeah, that's my... so, Phil. I've got a question for you, real quick. Sorry, Bob. Um, okay. at your church, you said that, uh, there were Eucharistic ministers. So was it more than the priest and yourself? Yeah, I was not serving at the mass. So it was three other Eucharistic ministers and the priest. So half of our normal or what we would normally have. Um, I was, uh, they asked me to serve in other capacities at that mass. So that's what I did. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. How, however, I, I will be fulfilling those the duties. The stream of, of our mass, um, it was just the deacon and the priest that were distributing um, at our church. So did were there requirements? Uh, I know you had an occupancy requirement like everywhere else, but was it every other pew? Was it every three pews? Um, families could sit together, but did people have to wear masks? Were those some of the requirements too? So every third pew is the uh, direction that the bishop gave. Um, people are highly encouraged, but not required to wear masks while sitting in the pew. If anyone is okay. processing up, so the priest, potentially a deacon and or a lector, they should be wearing a mask as they process up and process out. And then ushers, they are just told that they need to wear a mask because they're passing by so many people. They would, they just... It's that one's not written as a requirement, but it's strongly suggested. 
So Eucharistic ministers wearing a mask and the masks during procession, I believe, are the requirements, as well as the distance between the pews, no singing, uh, single canter only, no choir. There's different times to sanitize. Uh, so the priest will sanitize where he receives before he distributes to the Eucharistic ministers. Then the Eucharistic ministers will go and sanitize, and then they'll don their mask. Sorry, they'll don their mask, they'll sanitize, then they'll distribute. So I can tell you out here, it's slightly different. Similar in the fact, okay, so one of the church that we go to on a regular basis, we, we don't belong to a specific one currently uh, because of our status here, but we do go to a couple of different ones. The one that's closest to my house, they want you to sign up. So yeah, I've seen this in other churches, you know, you know, the first hundred people that sign up, Hey, you're winners. And all that I've other heard stuff that too. Yeah. I've heard mass. That. Yeah. So I don't really care. I don't really, I like the early morning Sunday mass, like seven 30. And basically I, I like it because it's not well attended. You know, you get some space, um, you know, to do your thing. And nobody talks to each other and you just can kind of come in and come out. Right. So it, it allows me to be my wonderful non-interpersonal self early on Sunday morning. And then I can, you know, just get in and get out, which, you know, it's just, it's a bad thing, but that's somehow how I am, you know, because I'm, Bob, I, I, I'm sure you're missing all of the hugs that you would be receiving otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, only from, only from Terry. <laughs> place we go on a regular basis a more regular basis now is a cathedral that's near us and it's an older church you know like a lot of cathedrals are and it's a very beautiful church and they have an occupancy limit of whatever that number is if it's 50 percent or whatever mm -hmm. and then you can sit every other pew it doesn't have to be one every three but everybody has to be masked that was a requirement and so they count you, they only open like two, you know, one or two uh, openings to come in. And then they're out there like counting people, right? And we go to Saturday, we've been going Saturdays, like mm -hmm. 530. And you get in there, you know, it, it's not, it's not the most well attended mass to begin with. But I can say we've probably been at the first so we've gone two Sundays. The first Sunday was maybe 50% of what we saw there before. And then this last Sunday, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's 50 people in there and it's a large place. So it's, it's down quite a bit. Although it's, like I said, it's not well attended. Right. Mass to begin right. with there. Um, and then when, uh, so typically it's the priest that'll do the communion. There, there might be one other person, but, no more than two people will be providing communion. Um, they need, they want you to hand sanitize before you go up there. They do have hand sanitizer, uh, a station up by where they're doing uh, communion. However, they tell you to use your own. Maybe it's because they're cheap. I don't know. They want theirs to last. I don't know. Maybe it's but the lack if, of, if you lack most, of, a lot of uh, availability in hand sanitizer these days. Well, they have. Well, I think it's better. Now. Agreed. Uh, um, and if not, you can go on Amazon and buy a bottle for like $10,000. <laughs> I think they they have like the, you know, the industrial size, you know, like gallon, you know, that you can't even buy in the store that, you know, that you only buy, you know, through some right. wholesaler. That's the, that's the size bottle they have. So I understand that they're just trying to make theirs go farther. I saw a couple people use theirs because they didn't bring any and I didn't see any ushers tackle them. So obviously <laughs> it was okay, but you never know. Churches were a very rule based church. And if you don't follow the rules, sometimes there's consequence, but it was so incredibly refreshing and moving and in an emotional uh, experience to once again get back in there and receive the body of Christ, you know, which, which really, I mean, interesting when we put these two topics together, 
to talk about this week, um, Phil said, let's talk about these two topics after some long deliberation. I mean, they're just linked at the Amen. hip, aren't they? Yes, they are. The, the return to church and the, the desire uh, to get back and get the actual body of Christ, because we can't have the blood yet, and, and uh, going into now the Feast of Corpus Christi. I, I'm still incredibly concerned that a lot of Catholics are, are going to have a tough time coming back. I, I understand some of it may be, may be still the reluctance because of the coronavirus, you know, and now we're seeing spikes uh, in a lot of states. And I think we're going to see this. We're going to see this for a period of time until there's a vaccine because the virus doesn't just go away. But, um, and there's going to be a lot more deaths, unfortunately. I understand that, but I'm also have some fears that the Eucharist potentially is not an important enough to those people that, you know, that they're hungering for it or, or have the right frame of mind, have the right desire to understand what it is they are missing and that the video presentation may be adequate enough for them. And, and I hope and I pray that is not the case. And I know I shared with you uh, guys earlier in the week the, uh, the article from Dr. Fauci that was in that Jesuit mm-hmm. publication and, and, and nothing against Dr. Fauci. I mean, I think he's a wonderful public health specialist and has done some really incredible work during his career. So, you know, we're not knocking him for that stuff or his recommendations, public more, you know, public health recommendations for the most part during the coronavirus. But when it gets into, into involvement into the church and communion, I think he gets into some areas where maybe he's traversing in areas where he doesn't have the same kind of expertise. And, and I want to bring this up out of that. Uh, we, we had some back and forth over the text on this during, during the week about Dr. Fauci, who, who claims to be a Catholic, yes. correct? Yeah. Remember that he, he claims to be a Catholic, you know, was educated in Catholic schools and then made the comment in the uh, America Jesuit, the Jesuit review, he identifies himself as Catholic because of the Jesuit schools that he's been going to. He describes himself as a Catholic and said the values he learned from the Jesuits continue to guide him. And he identifies much more with the concept of, of that concept of things he learned from the Jesuits than the concept of organized churches or religions. And I think we, I could say the collective we, you guys can concur or non-concur, I guess, but I, I feel that we feel that's a code for, hey, I don't go to church. I, I don't go to church. I don't, it's not, the Catholic church isn't important to me. So it seems like, I mean, for, and then this is all in the context of his article about saying, well, there's too much of a risk mm-hmm. to receive communion when he says he doesn't even identify with organized church. So to me, he doesn't have a clue what, what the, com- what communion means, you know? Yeah, that, I would, agree. I would I agree. And I think that's, so. that was kind of the, the sticking point um, to identify as Catholic, but then say that you don't uh, identify with any religion or agree <sighs> with it. I don't remember the verbiage exactly, but to me, Organized churches, organized so to churches. me, then that means that either, I mean, either you know and understand, you know, as best you can, what and who the Eucharist is, or you just say you do. You know what I mean? So it can, to me, it's either kind of, you're either on the path of discovering and learning or not. And it doesn't sound to me, at least from the verbiage of the article, right, you're you're limited by what the author wrote down of what he said and all of that. But there still seems to be a piece missing because it, it, it seems to me, I, at least in what I, you know, I read the article a couple times over just to make sure I'm not, 
obviously I'm going to bring some of my own biases. That's just part of who we are as human beings. But reading that article, it seemed to me like he did not fully comprehend what and more especially who the Eucharist is and what that means to us, especially as Catholics and especially coming up on this feast of Corpus Christi. But, you know, every Sunday is a is a solemnity. So this is where I get a little bit offended. And like I said, nothing against Dr. Fauci. I, I tremendously respect him and his position on public health issues. And he's done wonderful work throughout his career. I reiterate that. Say it again. And there's nothing wrong with him having an article saying he, he doesn't think we should have communion because there's a public health issue from a public health doctor standpoint saying there's too much of the transmission and we, of the virus and we can't mitigate it enough. He could use all of that. And he does do some of that within the, the article. And he does talk about people at high risk, especially older folks. They should avoid large yep. crowds, all these other things. And, and, and I understand that. So these are all valuable. The part that, that gets me and offends me is he closed it. He almost closed this response as more legitimate, not as just Dr. Fauci, the public health doctor expert, is Dr. Fauci, who was raised as a, you know, in Jesuit schools and identifies himself or describes himself as a Catholic, like somehow he's one of us as a Catholic and that he would somehow understand really what the Eucharist is. And then he goes on to say that he, he doesn't, he doesn't identify with the concept of organized churches. I mean, I, to me, it's just like that whole piece could be out of there. Either the, either the doctor is going to talk to us about the public health thing. I'm sure the reason they talked to him was partly because he has some Catholic roots, but he basically sounds like he's, shoved his Catholic roots aside. Yeah. You know, I got the, I, I got the I same offended by feelings that. from that, that he's almost using like that Catholic card, right? He's trying to play that. I mean, it feels that way again. There's yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe the I don't know either. Right. So we don't, don't know, know those little pieces, but having that just thrown in there just feels like, are you just trying to like pander? So then it, it feels like, right. Oh, this is more legitimate from a Catholic sense because he was, you know, went to Jesuit schools. It just, there were a lot of things that just kind of like from the epididymology sense, right. He knows far more than I'll ever know. Right. I, I, I know that <laughs> that's not my area of expertise, yeah. nor am Absolutely. I a doctor of anything, but from you know, trying to add that, that what seems like, Hey, you know, I was trained at these schools. So, you know, it just felt like, I don't know. It just, I, I didn't appreciate that part. Uh, it rubbed me wrong. Um, and there were a number of people that commented on that same article, right. um, seemed to affirm the same things that Bob and I are saying. I think he, he loses his credibility when he has that in there. So I'm not sure if it's, you know, we've talked a little bit back and forth on this publication and and I'm trying to read a little bit more in there to try to get a sense from where they're coming from. And they obviously have a view and, and, you know, a position and so on that a lot of these magazines come from. You know, I think what our podcast listeners may or may not know, but we will talk about it. I mean, you know, we're not a monolith. The Catholic Church, we're so large. I mean, we have publications that are very, very liberal and publications that are very conservative. So, uh, you know, we're just like, uh, the rest of society because we are such a large, you know, global, you know, billion mm -hmm. plus Catholics out there. So, and, and I, and I agree, I, I'm not attempting, I am not a doctor, even though I may be attempting to play one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I think this is, this is a wonderful link to what we're talking about because I get that sense that, he almost, I, I feel like, and that's a personal thing, he dismisses how important communion is for the public health issues and then talks about how he's really not a guy that goes to church anyway. And, and that's where I get the sense where it's going to lead into our Corpus Christi discussion about 
where we have some problems. So well, I, think, I don't know. I don't really you know, have much more to Jill, say. On I that. think I agree with you both. I think that this the particular slant on this article uh, was unfortunate as a Catholic, as a man who really appreciates the Eucharist and all that it means. And uh, here we have here we have a scientist and a very renowned scientist like you know like the both of you said this this man knows his field up and down sideways frontwards backwards but it would almost be like being on tv and commenting about the spread of the coronavirus you know it's it's the or catholic authority more does not know epidemiology the way Dr. Fauci does, and Dr. Fauci should not be expressing opinion on the Eucharist and its importance to Catholics as a scientist, because he, he, I mean, it's clear he does not get that importance, and that is unfortunate that it went into print that way, so there are those that may read that and say, well, well, you know, hey, Dr. Fauci doesn't think it's that important, so why should I? So that's my, that's my sense. Well, maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can have him on the- Open uh, invitation, a, if you'd like to join as us. As a guest. Yes. Hey, he, well, hey, Dr. Fauci, you just, yeah, just give me a call, uh, 555, <laughs> uh, you know, leave my number. But I mean, he can respond to, you know, to the anchor site or whatever we have uh, or leave a leave a five star rating. Indeed. His phone number. We'll call him back. Yeah, there's an open invitation. And it's obvious that he's sure. everywhere. So he's on a lot of media. So maybe he wouldn't have a problem coming on here. The only thing I would worry about is, you know, you know, us and our technological <laughs> luck. Terry won't be able to hear. Uh, so I think at this time we'll shift into kind of our discussion about the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ, also known as Corpus Christi. Um, many dioceses in the United States um, and a few other places around the world will actually celebrate this on Sunday, uh, J- June 14th of 2020. Uh, many uh, parishes, uh, dioceses around the world celebrated it on June 11th. So this this is a that's right a pretty old uh, solemnity uh, that was put forth uh, 700 years ago, um, confirmed in 1311, 1312, uh, which was just kind of a reaffirmation of the previous institution. Um, there is some beautiful hymns that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, one particularly that usually is sung or chanted um, during this specific Mass. Pange uh, Linga, or however you want to pronounce it, because I've heard a number of people, Pange Lingua. Uh, but anyways, I just really encourage you to even look at the Wikipedia translation, because it's it's good. There's a, there's two different English translations, which in and of itself shows that someone put some depth into this. And either way, no matter how you look at either one of the English translations, um, you can really see what St. Thomas Aquinas put into this. Uh, this was a commission by the Pope himself at the time to say, you know, I want you to write this to help put together this liturgy for Corpus Christi. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas took this to heart, um, and at times, uh, amongst other readings that he did, or other writings that he did as well, when he would feel as though he wasn't making progress, he would rest his head on the tabernacle to gain inspiration. Okay. Correct. So this is Pope Urban the Fourth, right? That. Okay. <laughs> One of my favorite popes. Well, I mean, this is this particular feast is is one in, in a line of feasts that uh, we celebrate in the Catholic faith that for me is is just tremendous. I mean, to be reminded, I mean, we're always reminded in our Sunday worship, in our daily worship, of what it means to uh, be a part, be the body and blood of Jesus to, to one another. However, um, 
having this feast and celebrating this feast on a Sunday as the churches are opening up really, really uh, kind of accentuates the importance, if that's the correct term. I'm at a loss for words here right now, but. <laughs> but if nobody shows up, <laughs> right. you know, that's well, the part I'm having so much problem with, you know, I mean, people, I mean, you know, the, the more and more we, we study this stuff, right? Because part of our formation, you know, our faith journey that we're all on, and that's what brought us to this podcast to have these discussions about the burning issues of the day through the Catholic lens, through our Catholic lens, through our faith lens, is, you know, we learn more and more about these things. And the more we learn about them, the more we're like, wow, I mean, these things are absolutely important and and people need to be them involved in them. And so, I'm not sure from the altar or from the pulpit were the those that are preaching and those that are sharing the with the communal body of Christ aren't doing a good enough job in their in their teaching. Hey now. In their formation. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah. It it would be it, maybe we need to do a different job to really. I think for some people, it just wouldn't make a difference. You could hit them over the head with a billy club, and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be that important to them. Uh, and um, there was a uh, survey that came out about a year ago, last August, that, and I forget the exact number. I think it was around forty five percent. Phil, you probably remember this better than I do because we were talking about it at that time. Mm -hmm. But. 45% of Catholics sitting in the pews don't believe in the true presence of Christ. Well, according to the That's not survey, true. it was. Or maybe it was a different number. Okay, well, so I want to I correct you because this is one of the things okay. that I was going to talk it. about on this subject. So <laughs> I listened to Bishop, thank you very much. I listened to Bishop Barron's uh, Homley, his talk, mm -hmm. you know, his weekly talk that you can download on his podcast is a shout out to Bishop Robert Barron, who's, who's wonderful to listen to and watch on YouTube. He's welcome to join the podcast at DVDs and all that other stuff. And this <laughs> absolutely a shout out. We would love to have a guest here anytime. I love him. Um, he said that the survey said that 70%, 70% of Catholics don't believe in trans transubstantiation. Seventy percent, and he's like, I mean, sort of like he's like, what's the point? You know, you're missing the boat, and you're missing the boat. And as I read about uh, the history of the feast of Corpus Christi, and that's where I got the Pope Urban the Fourth, and so on, and reading about Saint Thomas Aquinas, who's just an incredible was an incredible leader in our church and one of Phil's uh, big heroes and uh, incredible writings and so on. But um, talking about how many Protestants, as we know, they deny that the real present exists. And, and to me, to, I, I can boil it down this way. When I talk to people about belief in God, belief in Jesus Christ, I, I tell them we we don't. It's not that it's a fact. It's not that it's real. And somehow people get offended by that. But I say if if we knew it was for sure, then we wouldn't need to have faith because we would just know it is right but we have faith that it is right based on all kinds of different things. And, and if the priest is up there and, and he's changing bread into the body of Christ based on the last supper, based on John chapter six, based yep. on all kinds of different things. Why can't, yes. Why, why can't we also 
have faith that that's true. I mean, you're already, you know, the, the, this is the part that just totally blows my mind. And maybe I just look at it from a really awkward perspective. If you can believe in heaven and afterlife and believe that, you know, God exists, even though you can't see God in front of you, right? It's a faith. It's a belief system. Why can't you just believe that too? Why, why do you believe one that, that can't, you know, we, I, you and we can't prove that today or tomorrow. I mean, we can't. If we could, then it would just be a fact and it would no longer be a belief, right? So why can't you believe in the other one? What's so hard about that? You know, that's where I have a, a problem. You know, this is part of the reason why Catholics are on the right track. That's, I mean, you know, and we substantiate well, I agree. that. So. Bob, I completely agree with you. Um and it and it is challenging when people don't accept everything of our Catholic faith based on faith. You know, why do we need to have proof? If if it were a proven scientific fact, we wouldn't need faith. And faith is what gets us through things like a COVID nineteen pandemic and other challenges in our world. So. I struggle a little bit with those that somehow need proof or can't take it on faith because um, there's no way for anybody to prove that heaven does exist, but our faith tells us it exists. And I know in my heart of hearts that there is a greater place that hopefully when I leave this earth, I will get to. So, why why do we have to have this proof that this somehow has to be the body of Christ scientifically and not take it on faith? I don't know. Right. And I know there's been studies that, you know, there's been studies to try to prove this and prove that and prove that there's been change. And that's fine. And people can, you know, in the body and stuff like that, you know, it's been there is a transubstantiate and that's fine. To me, it's all a faith belief system, right? And, and it makes perfect sense, right? Why would you live your life? Why would you live your life and just say, hey, you know what? At the end of the road, the lights are turned out. That is such a, a, a it is such a, um, I mean, there's no hope in that model, right? There's no hope. The hope is that you are working towards something better, right? There, at the end of the road, there is something better for you, right? And that type of thing. And along with that is, you know, you're being nourished as you go along by the Eucharist to get to that place, along with all the other things that we do. So I, I to me, it just doesn't. I don't understand why you why why people wouldn't say, "Wow, that should be an important component of my life." I think a lot of that comes down to you know, you know really knowing and understanding, you know, what the church teaches on the Eucharist, um, and even if someone is a you know they attend Mass weekly, um, you know, how how deep is that relationship that they have with our Lord? Is it just one hour a week, you know, if, if I had a one hour a week relationship with my wife, it probably wouldn't last very long. So we, we the relationship needs to be deeper than just one hour a week. So there needs to be preparation, you know, as we're going through the week leading up to Sunday. And if we can attend daily mass, all the better. But even if all we can do is attend mass once a week, you know, we, we read the readings before we understand how the Lord is speaking to us personally before we even go to Mass. After Mass, we, you know, pray a prayer of thanksgiving. We try and grow in, you know, that grateful, thankful heart to the gift that God has just given us. And then continue that in how we approach, serve, and love others. So I think... It has to be 
It can't just be one hour a week and think that there's going to be this substantial transformation. Yes, it can happen, right? People can be moved that way. But I think it's more the exception than the rule. We have to, we have to ourselves put more into it. We can't just show up at mass and expect this, you know, phenomenal life-changing event to happen when we go to mass. We have to ourselves in our hearts you know, really try and move ever closer to our Lord. And then the gifts, the graces that are already there will be even better illuminated for us to grow, you know, that will just pull us ever deeper into communion with our Lord. That relationship will grow ever deeper. Does not mean that the crosses will go away. Doesn't mean that we're just going to be riding on, you know, unicorns, but We'll still have challenges. We will still have trials. But the cr the closer we grow to our Lord, the you know the ever more aware we will be of the graces we receive in the Eucharist and how that truly is not only our spiritual food, but as Saint Thomas Aquinas says, it's also our physical food. Not just because we physically receive it, but because through the Eucharist right. we have the promise of eternal life as. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter six, we will have that promise of eternal life through this that he's feeding us with. So that means the resurrection of the body. So it's not just a spiritual thing alone. It's also a physical, a physical nurturing as well. And I, hey, I, I think that that's a message for everyone, but it's probably more geared at advanced Catholics, so to speak. I, I think people sometimes have a difficult time, you know, viewing what's happening at mass and at the church and trying to take that and, and put it into some practice into their everyday lives as why is it important that I have this or need this? Why am I going to this? You know, I, I think sometimes people go sure, because sure. they want to go Agreed. for the community, right? That's a big part of it, right? They like to be involved. There's people, you know, community and stuff. And obviously that's been changed over this uh, pandemic time, at least temporarily. But uh, that's part of it, right? But all those other things and how we, we need to do a better job of ministering to those folks to get them to understand what they're getting at mass, especially on a Saturday or Sunday, they're going to take that stuff and they're going to use that in their everyday lives. And then they can build up to the point where what Phil's talking about, right? That, that they're in, you know, encompassing more than just going to mass. I mean, I'm trying to start at square one and I, I think Phil's got a great model, but I think that that's, farther down the road for a lot of these folks. But I think if, if you know what your target is, about. right, then it's easier to aim for something. So that's why I say all of the things I said, not because everyone's going to start, you know, already at a hundred miles an hour, but at least they know, Oh wait, if I, if I read these readings before, which doesn't take maybe 20 minutes in a family setting with, you know, a little bit of chaos, um, <laughs> You know, you can get, you can pray these readings beforehand and the things that the kids will say can sometimes in and of itself awaken something that you would have never heard had you not, you know what I mean? Okay, maybe you don't have kids at home, but just even reading the reading out loud, the readings out loud, you can find them online or in many different publications, you know, just taking the readings alone and starting there. And that's maybe 20, you spend 20 minutes, you know, one of the days during the week, just to read the readings. So then when you're at mass, if there's some distraction or you're, you know, you see someone else's mask that catches your attention or someone coughs and it, it changes your, you know, derails your train of thought or anything else, you at least are familiar with the readings. So then when you hear the preaching, hopefully the preaching is related to the readings and it will awaken something within your heart.
that's all. So I, I always, I like to start. So I, I lay out the whole plan, right? Because that's the hope is that we would be immersing ourselves more deeply, but starting with the readings, obviously daily prayer is important, but yeah, we, obviously you're not going to start at a hundred right away. You kind of baby step into that. Oh, I think you're right on. I, I mean, we should probably focus it more back on why Catholics should, you know, and, and the, and the alarming amount of Catholics that don't believe that the body and blood of Christ are the body and blood of Christ. So I, I think that that's, you know, a, I mean, it's a tragedy if those numbers are correct, if it's so, 70% of the yeah, So my only caveat to this and, and survey, go ahead. Um, yeah, it says seven in 10 U.S. Catholics believe bread and wine are symbols, um, is that it's a smaller sampling. So we have hundreds of thousands of Catholics in the United States, and I think the survey is... 1300, 1500. I'm not seeing that number specifically on this survey page right here, but so it, it's a much smaller sampling of people that identify as Catholics. So just with that small caveat that this is a smaller sampling. So this may not be reality in your community, um, but it may be. And either way, we can all grow in greater admiration, love, and devotion to our blessed Lord in the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. Well, I, st I think it's a standard statistical sampling size that they use for a lot of these different things. It's usually only maybe 1,500 or so that they use. It's not a lot. And they, and they do some modeling based on that. Uh, whether it's for a political poll or other kinds of polls or like this. Uh, and they're a very well thought of organization. Uh, I agree that it's situational by maybe geographical area, so on, you know, it's going to, it's going to vary. Uh, but I'm, I'm still very concerned about it because we already have a, you know, my, as, as I've always talked about my issue are with, the breaking down of institutions and the secular over secularization of society, things like that. I think it just plays all into that, which gives me a lot of warning signs of, you know, things aren't going as well which as I we think, want them to. Of itself, so. I think, you know, Bob, um, you know, I kind of see what you're seeing, but that kind of leads us back to prayer and praying for those that uh, don't, really get it and, and praying for our brothers and right. sisters who um, maybe have fallen away from the church because of one thing or another but you know, along with the sacred body and blood I think you know prayer for me is, uh, is one of the cornerstones of, of our great faith So if, if I could just say one thing more here on this subject, besides <laughs> trying to get Terry better audio some, in the future, is, uh, is we're going to publish this podcast, the goal to publish this podcast before the Feast of Corpus Christi is celebrated at Mass this Sunday. And what I ask for all those folks who are listening to this is that they go to Mass. If they're one of that 70%, that they sit it, they kneel and they pray and they just open their mind and their heart to the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and, and, and give the truth about what transubstantiation is and what that the actual body and blood of Christ is and just allow that process to happen. And I think that they'll have some good results from that. So that is the, that is what I throw out there to our podcast listeners. That Amen, I hope Bob. That Thank they you. Do that this weekend.
where we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Um, as we do at the end of every podcast, we, we close with a, a prayer. And this week, I believe it's Phil's turn. Absolutely. To do Let us begin prayer. in the name of the so, Father and of the ready? Son yeah. and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many gifts you have blessed us with. The opening of our churches, the ability to again receive the most blessed sacrament, the source and summit of our faith. We ask that you open the hearts of all those that hear this, and including our own hearts, that we would continue to grow in love and devotion of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Amen. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, gentlemen, this is our, uh, as always, it's been a incredibly uplifting and faith-filled experience. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, and to all our podcast listeners, please go on to Apple Podcast or whatever podcast platform that you listen to us on and give us a rating. Five stars is really great. We really appreciate that. Leave us some comments. Uh, we use those comments. We read those comments. Give us some ideas about things to talk yep, about. So we are using and Anchor so to record this podcast. And uh, the link in the description of this podcast will also give you the opportunity to leave us a message. So if you'd like to record a message for us, we will receive that message. And if it is applicable to our podcast or we can fit it in or it's just a comment, we'd love to play your message on our next podcast. You can do that at anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics forward slash message or just click the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And we really pray that this episode may for you be a light in your faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and that it helps you continue to dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. If you would like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics. You can leave us a message there. We will play and respond to your question or comment as we are able in the next episode. We ask that you share this podcast and this episode especially with at least one person. This will help get the word out and help more people to join in the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. This really helps podcasts get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day, and may God bless you.